You are now listening to the E-Watchman Podcast with your host, Robert King. Thank you for listening, boys and girls. This program was recorded in the middle of February in the year 2016. It's episode number 69. And I'm not going to say anything else. I'm just going to get right to it. As you know, the uh, format of the program is that uh, I consider listeners' questions or readers' questions, whatever. Someone asked a question about the rape of the Levite's concubine, as recorded in the uh, book of Judges. Why did Jehovah allow so many men to die that rightly went up against Benjamin for disgraceful acts of rape and murder? And what lessons can be taken from this account? Well, you know, there are a lot of accounts in the Bible that uh, <laughs> are disturbing and uh, they make you wonder. And you know, because on many occasions, God did intervene directly, but other times he didn't. And that's really what the questioner is asking. And this wasn't as if Israel was fighting a foreign foe, the Moabites or the Philistines or whoever. The account centered around this uh, Levite whose concubine was raped by a mob in Gibeah. And uh, he, he cut her body up into 12 parts and sent a piece of it to all 12 tribes uh, for shock value, obviously. And they uh, were shocked by it, naturally, and convened and they went to the tribe of Benjamin and uh, demanded that they hand the men over, that they could put them to death in accord with the law. And uh, the men of Benjamin refused. War ensued, and uh, the Benjaminites got the better of them. But then they inquired of Jehovah. He said, go up again. And uh, they eventually they almost wiped out the entire tribe of Benjamin, at least the males who were fighting. So why did God allow that to happen? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. God allowed civil war to occur in the nation on more than one occasion. and He didn't intervene. Why? I, I can't say. But in this account, Jehovah did instruct the 11 tribes to go to war. But it was up to them to to take care of the business, you might say. You know, God didn't throw hailstones from heaven or cause the sun to stand still for 24 hours like he did in the days of Joshua. It's a terrible tragedy, but that's what happens when God's law is not followed, adhered to strictly. It's disastrous. 
what lesson can be taken from this account? Well, I think you can uh, draw a lot of lessons from it. In fact, the book of Hosea, which is earmarked for the final part of the days, even though it has an ancient setting in Israel, in that book of Hosea, a book of prophecy, Jehovah says, this is just as the days of Gibeah to me, referring to the sin of his organization, of his people. Now, as I've mentioned in some of the open letters, the real sin of Gibeah was not the rape and murder. It was the refusal of the Benjaminites to hand these criminals over. That was the real sin of uh, Gibeah. And the lesson is, of course, that that's exactly what the Watchtower has done. The Watchtower has not directly promoted pedophilia. You know, the older men of the Bethel and the governing body, they're not pedophiles like so many of the uh, Catholic priests are. But they have refused to hand over the guilty men, you might say. Their lawyers have gagged congregation elders. Many of you became aware of this uh, more recently. Over the summer of 2015, the Royal Commission in Australia brought to light that there have been over 1,000 cases of pedophilia in Australia. It's not a heavily populated country, you know, and there's not a great deal of uh, witnesses there. Over the last 50 years, though, there have been over 1,000 known reported cases of pedophilia, and not one was ever reported to the authorities. Now, you would think if the Watchtower were really concerned about protecting the children that Jehovah has entrusted to them, that they would use every means at their disposal to root out, to ferret out these wicked men, to make it known who they were, to alert parents in order that the children could be protected. But they've actually done the exact opposite. They have gagged elders. They've disfellowshipped victims who spoke out. <laughs> it's atrocious. Uh, fortunately, we're not going to war with the Watchtower, but some who have spoken out have been uh, disfellowshipped, put to death, you might say, Bill Bowen and Barbara Anderson and myself, really. Anyone who speaks against these atrocities will be at war with the Watchtower. Now, I don't advocate, you know, that we, you know, form some kind of movement, take up the pitchforks and uh, torches and go storm the gates of Bethel. Uh, but at some point, at some point in the future, with the coming of Christ, we will have to take a stand for righteousness. And the leadership of the Watchtower will not be standing in the gap, so to speak, to quote from Isaiah. Because Jehovah wants to know where our hearts are. So, you know, fading off and not wanting to be you know, stand, standing up for, for the truth, that, that's not going to get us where we want to be. If we really love righteousness at some point in the future, we'll have to take a stand, and it will be as if we're going to war. And even if we're casualties, 
as Christ Jesus was, uh, then so be it. Okay, a person who is, uh, I believe, studying with Jehovah's Witnesses, he, he asked me a list of 10 questions here, so that's fine. And the, a lot of these, I mean, they don't get into prophecy and that, you know, that's really what the Watchman's Post is all about. Uh, but I'm happy to answer, you know, basic things, and um, that's that's what the truth is all about, isn't it? Number one, are Jehovah's Witnesses the only ones who are going to be saved? Well, I can tell you this. The scripture says that everyone who calls upon the name of Jehovah will be saved. And, of course, we'd have to assume that that is calling upon the name in faith, so that gives Jehovah's Witnesses uh, an, an inside track on salvation, doesn't it? You have to call upon God's name. And that would surely uh, mean that we would have to know who Jehovah is. Jehovah is not Jesus, as the Trinitarians will claim. Well, God just has a different name. When he was on earth, he was Jehovah, but he called himself Jesus and all that kind of nonsense. So, yes, um, Jesus said that many would say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and expel demons in your name and do powerful works in your name? And Jesus will confess to them, I never knew you. Get away from me, you workers of lawlessness. So there is something to knowing the truth. And Jehovah's Witnesses know the basic truth. Uh, whether they believe it wholeheartedly or love it, that's a different story. But let's let's answer yes to that question. Are Jehovah's Witnesses the only ones who are going to be saved? Let's let's put yes with a qualifier, okay? Number two, the people who die at Armageddon, will they be resurrected for judgment during the thousand years? Uh, the answer is uh, no, absolutely not. Jesus uh laid it out in the 25th chapter of Matthew where he spoke about the sheep and the goats and the sheep on Jesus' right hand, they received the kingdom that's been prepared for them because they did good to Jesus' brothers and Jesus considered that as doing it to him. And the goats are sent off into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Pretty clear, isn't it? If we understand the symbolism, everlasting fire means permanent death. Surely the devil isn't going to be resurrected, is he? Is he going to have everlasting life somewhere? Maybe given a second chance? <laughs> no, he's in the everlasting fire of destruction. And those who refuse to recognize Christ's brothers when they are revealed will receive the same judgment. Revelation expresses it differently. It speaks of those who receive the mark of the beast, and it says these do not have their names written in the book of life from the founding of the world. So if you're not written in the book of life, uh, that's, that's it. Are the saints with Christ in heaven, are they slowly joining him, or is this a future event? Well, here is where E. Watchman and the Watchtower part. <laughs> the Watchtower, of course, says 
the resurrection of the Holy Ones, the first resurrection, probably began in 1918. And we can't prove that scripturally. All we know is that Jesus Christ began ruling in his kingdom in 1914. And Paul said that uh, those who are dead in Christ would rise first during the parousia. But of course, that's all predicated on the belief that the parousia began in 1914, which I think I have conclusively proved that it did not begin in 1914 and that it has not begun yet, but that it is imminent. But when it does begin, yes, then the first resurrection begins and uh, the dead are joined with Christ. And then during Jesus' brief parousia, those who die during that parousia are, are joined. Here's sort of a hypothetical question. We've had a few like this. Question number four, he says, if I ever wanted to conduct a Bible study and I don't believe in the 1914 doctrine and I'm required to teach that doctrine, what am I supposed to do? Well, first off, I would say don't worry about it unless you're really faced with that situation. I take it from the way the question is phrased, if I ever wanted to conduct a Bible study. <laughs> So maybe you don't want to conduct one right now, or you don't have a Bible study, so why worry about it? But just to be more direct, I mean, Jesus said, you be, be as cautious as a serpent, and yet innocent as a dove. So you can apply that principle. Let's say you really do have a Bible study, and the subject comes up. You know it's coming up. Well, why not invite a pioneer or an elder to sit in on your study and let them conduct it. And <laughs> you just take the cowardly way out and sit back and let them do it, do the dirty work for you and you, you remain innocent. <laughs> I don't know. You have to work it out. Here's an unusual question, number five. Were J.F. Rutherford and C.T. Russell and Nathan Knorr anointed brothers? You might as well throw Fred Franz in there, too. He was uh, president of the Watchtower. You know, there's, there's really no way to tell. There's no human way to tell if a person is anointed or not. Some, obviously, uh, are not truly anointed, there's the wheat and the weeds, but uh, I I assume that they were. I I have no reason to, to think otherwise. The question is, did they advance the work? Did Jehovah give indication that he was using them? I say the, the evidence is overwhelming. Each of them, you know, took the truth, you might say, to another level. Now, were they flawed? Uh, absolutely. And I, I think of, the, of Jehovah's denunciation in Isaiah when he speaks to his nation, to Jacob, during the judgment, during the actual parousia. And he said, you know, your, your own spokesman, your, your first ones have sinned against me and your own spokesman have lied. Well, 
That doesn't rule them out from being God's spokesman, though, does it? He's just, God leaves, it's in his prerogative to set matters straight in his own due time. So, number six is, do all anointed brothers have to die a martyr's death? And the answer to that question is, no, they haven't so far. Hundreds died in the first century, of course, in the Colosseums and the arenas. Um, several of the apostles, we know for sure, were put to death. James, um, Peter, most likely. Paul was, of course. Uh, John probably died on the island of Patmos. Uh, but during, again, during the parousia, most likely all of the living anointed ones, the chosen ones, after they've been sealed, will be put to death. And that's, if you go back to Revelation chapter 6 with the opening of the fifth seal and the souls under the altar of those who've been put to death with the axe for speaking about Jesus, they say, how long, sovereign Lord, until we are avenged? And he says, wait until your brother's are also killed. This is this is something that I don't know if a a person new in the truth can understand. I don't think Jehovah's Witnesses really understand it. The Watchtower certainly hasn't explained it. But I I understood some years ago that this was hidden in in the scriptures that all of the chosen ones will be put to death during that tribulation. And it is, in fact, why Jehovah brings about the War of Armageddon. Look, this, this world has a lot of blood guilt, but Jehovah's never called them to account. He's never called the world to account for putting to death Jesus and the apostles, as I've mentioned. But when the sealing of the last the remaining ones, is concluded. Uh, Jehovah really gives Satan an opportunity, one last shot, at proving that Jehovah is a liar because God has decreed to have 144,000 in heaven and when the sealing is conducted, that, that means the calling and choosing is over. God has his team in place and there'll be these ones on earth, some 7,000 on earth, who have been admitted into the kingdom. So if any of them become unfaithful after God has stopped the calling and choosing, then God is left with 143,999 or what? How does that work? So the devil, that's why he goes off to wage war with the remaining ones of the woman's offspring the remaining ones of her seed, as the New World Translation used to call it, who have the work of bearing witness to Jesus. So he goes after them to kill them, and Jehovah allows it to bring the world into judgment for having put to death the sons of God. They'd kill Jesus again if they had the chance. That's what the goat, they, when did we see you hungry? There? Well, you didn't do it to my brothers. You didn't do it to me. 
Or if you did it to my, if you killed my brothers, you did it to me. Right? So do all the brothers have to die a martyr's death? No. Only the chosen ones who are alive during the finale. And number seven, are there some people who will not be resurrected? Yes. Jesus said that there are those who uh, commit the sin of blasphemy against the Spirit. And Jesus said there is no forgiveness in this system or in the one to come. Now, he, he directed that judgment against the Pharisees who were saying that he performed miracles by the power of Satan, Beelzebub. And that was what Jesus considered blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's, I, I don't think, a common sin, but um, I think it is something that people will find themselves committing in the, during the judgment period when the sons of God are revealed and people will resist them and fight against them. And Jesus said, you, family members will be put to death and brothers will hate each other and betray one another. They will not be forgiven for that. Number eight, how do we know that the book of Enoch does not belong in the Bible since Jude quotes from it? Uh, actually, Jude does not quote from the book of Enoch. Jude quoted from the prophet Enoch. There's a big difference. The book of Enoch is a total fraud. I mean, I you, Google the book of Enoch and you'll see that it, you can read part of it online, all of it if you can handle it. I, I couldn't. It's, it's just ridiculous. The book of Enoch, you can tell it's just a cheap knockoff. Somebody read the Bible and tossed a bunch of words on a page and tried to make it sound biblical-like. You know, it's like the Book of Mormon in that sense. I've tried reading the Book of Mormon. It's just ridiculous. I, I don't see how anybody could take it seriously, but the Book of Enoch is the same way. And the Book of Enoch was written just a few hundred years at most before Christ, whereas Enoch lived before the flood. So Now, Jude was merely quoting uh, the prophet and Probably by inspiration, Jehovah let him know what the prophet foretold before the flood concerning Jehovah's coming judgment. Uh, and, uh, the Apostle Paul, um, excuse me, similarly spoke of um, two Hebrews in the time of Moses named Janice and Jambres, who resisted Moses to an excessive degree. And yet there's no account of them in the Hebrew scriptures did uh, Paul have access to other documents? We don't know. Or was it by inspiration? Probably. So the Bible writers were inspired. And that explains how he could have had information that Enoch spoke without having it recorded in a book. Uh, number nine. What is the governing body's main purpose in concealing the truth from the rest of Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, I, I don't think that they have knowingly, deliberately done so. Maybe some of them know 1914 is a fraud. Uh, 
I would hope, uh, actually, I would hope they, they didn't. They would be uh, less guilty, really. But, you know, organizations have a way of taking on a life of themselves, you know. As individuals, uh, members of the governing body may be absolutely horrified at child abuse. And, uh, you know, if they were acting independently, they, they could come down like a ton of bricks on a pedophile. But when it comes to protecting the image of the organization, they've been deceived into thinking that that's God's will. We have to protect Jehovah's reputation, the organization. We have to protect its coffers. We have to, you know, we don't want to stumble anybody, so we have to keep <laughs> splashing this whitewash on this this wall, as it's expressed in the 13th chapter of Ezekiel. Obviously, I mean, there are deceivers. Uh, I don't know if they're the governing body necessarily. You know, the governing body doesn't really run the Watchtower. It's the, it's the board of directors behind the scenes, and, you know... Who knows? I don't. I don't know. I, I. I just know that, from Jehovah's standpoint, a deception is deception. It doesn't really matter if uh, you, you you knowingly promote it or not. He's going to take care of it. He's going to knock this this wall down. There goes my dog barking. Eh, going to let her go. A little too early for the mailman right now. <laughs> I usually know when she goes off. Anyway, he's got one more question here. I believe the Bible fully, but I have a question that is confusing me. In the account about the Last Supper, when Judas betrays Jesus, when the apostles ask who it was, Matthew 26, 23, Jesus said, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. But then in John 13, 26, Jesus says, It is the one to whom I will give the piece of bread that I've dipped in the dish. Then dipping the piece in the bread, he gives it to, to Judas. So no, he said, no, Jehovah's Witness was able to provide the answer to this question because it seems the two verses are contradictory. Well, they're not really contradictory. You, you have to read the whole account. In Matthew... Uh, all the disciples were at the table, and Jesus said, one of you uh, will betray me. The one dipping his hand in the bowl with me will betray me. Well, they went on eating, and then in John, Matthew doesn't record this, but John records, because John was the one who asked this of Jesus, because he was sitting next to Jesus, and Peter looked at him and kind of like whisper to him, ask him who it is. And so the other disciples apparently didn't hear him, but John leaned back and said, who is it, Lord? He says, he whispered to John, it's the one to whom I give the morsel. And that's when he gave it to Judas. And that's when it says Satan entered into Judas and he went out to betray Jesus. So Jesus originally spoke about one of you is going to betray me. It's the one dipping in the bowl, and then later he's, he gave the morsel directly to Judas. So, 
Hope that clarifies it for you. Okay, now this is a question from another uh, questioner entirely. He's just curious. He says, even when it's obvious that 1914 wasn't the beginning of the parousia, do you think that there will still be Jehovah's Witnesses who believe in 1914 and will not be willing to, to accept the real truth? And um, unfortunately, yes, that, I'm afraid that is going to be the case. Because if we realize that 1914 is what Paul was talking about, with the man of lawlessness, that um, Jehovah allows this operation of Satan as a, a deluding influence to go to those to test their love of the truth. And uh, unfortunately, many people do not love the truth. They love having a religion, but they're not necessarily attached to Jehovah. And unfortunately, that, that apparently is the case with many of Jehovah's Witnesses. I mean, you can see that when Jehovah's Witnesses, even now, they leave off, they fade away, as I mentioned, they, they just stop with their faith. And they usually give a reason, well, you know, the Watchtower is hypocritical, the Watchtower did this, the Watchtower did that. And that's all true. And, but really that, that sort of thinking betrays the fact that they were followers of the Watchtower, followers of men, and had no real attachment to Jehovah. And so when the Watchtower betrays them, is hypocritical, ha-ha, well, I'm out of here. <laughs> um, so they have no faith. But if the Watchtower has served Jehovah's purpose, it has engendered in us a true faith that will withstand even the collapse of the Watchtower. And that's what I've been trying to prepare Jehovah's Witnesses for in my own little corner of the Internet universe here, <laughs> hammering away a little voice in the wilderness, kind of. But yeah, that, that will be the big test. And it, it, it can't be far off. We're on the edge of World War III. You know, back 11 years ago, when I was disfellowshipped, as I was, I literally had my hand on the, the Kingdom Hall door, opening it for the last time, and I just impulsively turned around. I, I hadn't said anything like this to the elders before, but, you know, they were... The disfellowshipping committee was still milling around in the foyer, putting their coats on or whatever. I don't know. I turned around and said, you know, there's going to be another world war. And they, you know, what can they say? They're just glaring at me, you know, like, get out of here. Um, I'm sure they thought I was had a loose screw. and, uh, But I don't sound like such a madman now, do I? I mean, just check my tweets out and all the articles that I I link to. Uh, World War Three is a very real possibility. I mean, just in the past few days, 
I mean, since Russia started bombing ISIS, I mean, the the Anglo-American duo have just gone nuts. And uh, they've egged on their their allies in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia and Qatar and Turkey. And now they're all saying, yeah, we're going to go in. We're going to invade Syria. <laughs> because we're, we want to get these terrorists too, right? The terrorists that they have been supporting all along. It, it will be a disaster if that happens. And that, that could very well trigger... If, if they kill any Russian soldiers or shoot down any more Russian airplanes, there will be uh, some serious repercussions. So we're, we're on... This has never happened before, by the way. Two nuclear powers have never come into direct conflict before in history. Of course, there were no nuclear powers in the first two world wars. The United States developed the atomic bomb right at the close of the war. They had two bombs and they detonated both of them over Nagasaki and Hiroshima. But then China and or China, first the USSR and then China have have uh, gotten nuclear weaponry. But the United States and NATO and those uh, other nuclear powers have never come into direct conflict. They fought their proxy wars and Korea and Vietnam and so forth and so on. But here, all of these nuclear powers, we'd have to include Israel as well. They are a nuclear power, although they've never admitted to being such. Um, and they're all converging on the Middle East. Do you think they're just going to walk away? I don't think so. But anyway, um, yeah, so when, when there is this nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, food short, if, if the economic system, not if, when the economic system collapses, uh, hyperinflation, there will be food shortages, even though right now everyone is well-fed, overfed, pestilence. In the face of all of that, I am certain that some of Jehovah's Witnesses will simply not accept the truth that Christ's presence has begun. They won't accept the truth like the presence has begun in 2016 instead of 1914. So, all right, one more question. From what I've read on your website, especially with your interpretation of Joel, you've said that you think once the system crashes and the time of the end commences, the door of salvation is basically closed and there will not be a large influx of people who will start worshiping Jehovah. So based on the current world population of about 7.4 billion, even if all of Jehovah's Witnesses are saved then the number of people who will not make it into the new world is over 99.9%. .9%. I find this hard to grasp. Is 99.9% .9 of the world's population that wicked? Are you sure there will not be a big influx of people who recognize what is happening when the system goes down and who make it into the new system? Well, I wish I was wrong. <clears throat> Excuse me again. My voice is going. 
Um, yes, I wish I was wrong. You know, there was a world that Jehovah destroyed before, um, and there were only eight people that survived it. So we should be thankful that a great crowd will come out of this Holocaust, an unnumbered great crowd, no doubt, in the millions. One thing I, I would point out, if this is any consolation, it sounds horrible enough, but in view of the fact that the, the seals of Revelation have not been unsealed yet, that Christ has not come, with the opening of the seals in rapid succession, the four horsemen are released, and uh, Revelation says that these will be given authority over a quarter of mankind to kill with the sword and deadly plague and so forth. And it says that death and shield, or Hades, the grave, was closely following. So this quarter of mankind who are going to be laid low uh, by the ravages of war, food shortage, and pandemic, they will be laid in the common grave with an opportunity for resurrection. But as I mentioned previously, those uh, who are alive after the sealing and after the final witnessing, um, they will not receive a resurrection because they will have proven that they are unrepentant and in direct opposition to Jehovah's kingdom. As it says in the ninth chapter of Revelation that they would not repent of their worship of the demons and of their thefts and fornication. Really, I mean, when the system crashes and if people do not already know Jehovah, how will it be possible for them to do so? And right now is a favorable time. That's why the Bible says, you know, today is the day of salvation. And we need to buy out the opportune time for ourselves. So Jehovah's sponsoring this work. And uh, he's trained Jehovah's Witnesses as ministers. They're able to go to a person's home, explain the basic teachings of the Bible to them. And discounting the 1914 thing because Jehovah allows that as an operation of Satan. So, but otherwise, for the most part, Jehovah's Witnesses are able to teach the truth. And, and it's enough to allow a person to decide that they want to serve Jehovah come what may and that they're willing to obey him. We have to show Jehovah something that we are going to be loyal to him because He's destroying this world for a reason, because people do not obey him, and people don't even want him in their lives. They don't even want his name mentioned around them. And so God is going to start a new world exclusively with people who will obey him, because we see what happens when a world does not obey him. That's why we're on the edge of world war, because people are ready to rip each other to the shreds raping and pillaging and plundering, we're going to see it big time because that's degraded human nature. And they, 
That's what we can expect when people do not subject themselves to the laws of God. So, persons have to demonstrate that they're willing to obey God now. And, and that's not saying that some who've strayed away and been stumbled, who know Jehovah, will not be given an opportunity to revive their faith. And, you know, when they see that Jehovah's taken action, uh, I certainly hope that's the case. I've, I've tried to instill that hope in the lost sheep and the strays. But as for persons who do not know the truth, as the questioner said in the book of Joel, if you read that prophecy, it's, it talks about the, the harvest being lost at that point. Because when the watchtower goes down, the ministry of Jehovah's Witnesses will effectively come to an end. Right? Because without the watchtower literature, what are Jehovah's Witnesses going to do? Because it's all based on having a magazine in hand, a book, a Bible, and so on and so forth. So that's not to say that there won't be a final witness given, but the watchtower won't be part of that. That will have to do with the chosen ones being filled with spirit and prophesying again before kings, as Jesus said, um, before rulers, judges, to give them a witness. But it won't be for their repentance. It will be to announce Jehovah's kingdom and judgment and um, then the end will come. The, the responsibility is on us who know the truth. We can't worry about those who don't know the truth. We have to try to reach them, try to give them the truth. If they don't want it, that's fine. That's their choice. But we can't expect Jehovah to save people who have no interest in him or love for him or his son. Anyway, thank you for listening. And I uh, hope to do this again before the month closes out. Um, may Jehovah bless your search for the truth. <laughs>